Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to be a witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what, you, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. At the end of chapter 9 that we looked at last week, Jesus started talking about this, this harvest of bringing people into his kingdom. And as we stepped into chapter 10, if you recall, he started that harvest work but by sending his 12 disciples out on mission. And we continue in that same vein today with what James just read. Uh, 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 Because in chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus is still talking about that harvest. But it was a good place for us between verses 15 and 16 of chapter 10 to sort of draw a dotted line through the text and break between last week's section and this week's section because from verse 16 now through to the end of the chapter, there's a bit of mystery as to what Jesus now has to say about this harvest work. Uh, 
Uh, last week, he was clearly talking to his 12 disciples about a specific mission that he was going to send them on at that time. But from verse 16, Jesus now seems to be speaking much more generally about the work of his harvest than for just that particular mission to those particular men at that particular time. To be sure, he's still talking to his 12 disciples, but something has changed. These are more now like ongoing aspects of his ongoing harvest mission. Uh, if we look closely, there, there are things he speaks of here that are just broader than what could have applied to that first specific mission we were thinking about last week for those 12 men. I mean, uh, in that specific mission, if you remember last week, chapter 10 and verse 6, it was specifically to the Jews, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now, in verse 18, Jesus says that they'll be dragged before kings and Gentiles too. And that, historically didn't happen until later. So too, even verse 17 there, being delivered over to be flogged in the Jewish synagogues, well, that didn't happen to the 12 disciples until after Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, as far as we are told in Scripture. Verse 19 widens out even more. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. I mean, that's just not about that first specific mission that he was sending those men on last week, is it? Those 12 weren't put to death before Jesus was put to death. No, no this is about mission generally now. By verse 22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. I mean, he's, he's talking now at least in lifetime kind of scales, isn't he? If not the whole salvation historical timeline to follow. And so on and so on for the rest of this chapter. Everything here pretty much seems to be about harvest work generally, calling people into his kingdom generally rather than specific mission details for those particular 12 and that particular mission we were thinking about last week in the first part of chapter 10. And when you start looking at that particular mission in last week's section, if, if you look it up in Mark and Luke's gospel, you'll see that that none of this stuff from verse 16 through 42 here in Matthew is included in their accounts of that first sending of the 12 that we thought of last week. But rather, these here are things that the other Gospels record Jesus having said at various other times. If you flick through the Gospels of Mark and Luke and John, you'll see it. So This is all covered in places like Mark 4 and Mark 8 and Mark 9 and Mark 13 and Luke 10 and Luke 14 and Luke 8 and Luke 21 and, and John 12 and 13 and 14. So, so perhaps Matthew has compiled here at the end of chapter 10 uh, what Jesus said on a bunch of different occasions that he spoke about harvest work, as if to keep it all in one nice, neat place for us so we get the message. Or maybe Jesus just said these things about the harvest work all the time. And across those other various gospel accounts, we've, we've just been given shorter bites of him doing bits and pieces of that on various occasions when he said much more, in fact. And, and Matthew's giving us a fuller sense of it happening right here. Now, that would better account for why even in Matthew's gospel, such as in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says some of these things again there too. Either way, Matthew has given us here an extended coverage of, of how Jesus spoke about the work of his harvest. It's one great chapter of, of mission directives, uh, such that we could hardly think that this was just applicable to the 12 on, on that first mission that he sent them on. 
Uh, rather, it would seem that, that this longer and more general section that we're looking at today is, is not restricted to 12. It's not restricted to 72, who he sent a little bit later, but it's just about Christian witness generally. The one exception to all that seems to be verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I mean, that sounds imminent. That does sound a little bit like a specific thing for that first particular mission, doesn't it? Where the twelve were specifically supposed to go at first to the lost sheep of Israel. Mind you, we, we could translate the back end of that verse 23 more simply and bluntly, for truly I am saying to you, by no means should you finish the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Which might just be to say, preach the gospel and keep preaching the gospel, even here in Israel. And despite the persecution that will flare up against you from time to time, because the harvest is just ongoing until the work is done. At which, if so, would would just have verse 23 fit quite neatly into the otherwise very generic and, and ongoing theme of the rest of this whole section we've just read from 16 to 42. Because across the rest of the text, what Jesus speaks of here does seem to fit into that longer kind of time frame. The things here extend beyond his first coming, that's for sure. They extend beyond his ascension to glory and authority. It all just seems to speak to the way his harvest work will always be until he comes again. And so in broad strokes, what we've got here in Matthew 10 is a magnificent summons a call for Christians generally to be an active witness for Jesus in this world in what is just going to be an ongoing harvest mission for Jesus in this world. And we might instinctively want to then just try to package all this up and put it over there for, I don't know, vocational ministry workers to take on board. It's actually relevant, rather, for, for all Christians. And vocational gospel work is Nothing more than just setting more time aside for what all of Jesus' disciples are called to do. And that's clear from what Jesus says here. Because when he speaks of those in verse 32 who he will acknowledge before the Father, surely he's involving every one of us who goes by his name in what he's talking about here. To everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Clearly, every believer is involved in this harvest stuff that he's talking about. So too, he involves us all again in verse 37 when he speaks of those who are worthy of him. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, he ties us all into his harvest mission at the end of this call from from verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. His flow there is connecting you and I simply because we are his disciple, verse 42, into what Jesus could otherwise do by prophets and righteous ones. He he likens the fruit of ministry in that kind of specialised sense that we see in the biblical narrative uh, uh, with the fruit of ministry that's going to come from little ones, like you and I, just ordinary people who are nothing more than just his humble disciples. We too, by the same basic call upon every believer, are tasked with bearing witness to Jesus in this world. So in several ways through this text, Jesus does involve us all in in this harvest work that he's determined to have underway. We receive him, we follow him, we carry our cross, we acknowledge him before others in the world. His language here ties all of us into this harvest work. It's just part of being his disciple. All of which makes the other aspect that's threaded through this text a bit more difficult for us to hear today. Because the harvest work that that surely we all are by default called into is a work that will bring division. Division in this world and, and therefore... It will sometimes bring danger to us as we go about that work. See first that Jesus makes it clear that us speaking his gospel is going to bring a divided response. On the one hand, many won't believe the gospel. No matter how close they are to us in in any other sense of understanding people, some people just will not believe in Jesus. Verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Just because you receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, doesn't mean your family and friends necessarily will too. Because many people will reject Jesus. And that different response, your acceptance of Jesus and their rejection of Jesus is is just going to boil over now and then into unpeaceful situations, perhaps even hostile relationships. But some people, on the other hand, will receive Jesus when we share the gospel with them. Verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. From our basic witness to Jesus, people can receive him and be saved. Infinite, eternal fruits from this harvest work that he has for us to do. What a glorious thought that part of all this surely is. But it won't all be like that because the gospel just divides people. There's no getting around that. And Jesus is blunt with that here. He explains it to us that we are called to bear witness into what's actually going to be those divided responses. This is just the plain workaday reality of what this harvest work, bearing witness to Christ, will look like. 
Why is it then that we only ever seem to anticipate and, and plan and, and hope for a positive response? And then why do we get dejected and, and give up altogether when there is a negative response to us sharing about Christ? There will be negative responses if we are doing this harvest work right according to these words from Jesus. Don't think that Jesus came to bring everyone into his gospel. That's an awfully hard thing to hear. But that basic reality is exactly what Jesus is telling us here. Those who don't receive the gospel, yet at least, might even resent us in as much as they resent Jesus. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It's enough for the servant to be like his master. If they've, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is, uh, if they regard Jesus as worthless, literally lord of the flies, lord of the dung, or in common speak, the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? If we are like Jesus, then we'll get the same divided response that he got. And he's letting us know up front that it might get most ugly at times. But it's Jesus who calls us into this harvest work of, of basic Christian witness and, and we shouldn't stand down from it. We shouldn't back down. We shouldn't be afraid of what he's called us to do. He says in verse 26, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Most of the time, what, what do we do? What do we do when we get a negative response to our attempt to talk about Jesus and, and the only beautiful gospel that can save people from Judgment Day, save people from that sin that James was explaining before? What do we do when it gets heated, gets ugly? Well, most of the time we go quiet, right? We just go quiet and everything settles down. Uh, maybe we resolve, look, let's just not talk about Jesus anymore at the staff lunches or at the family Christmas get-together or whatever the context was. Let's just not talk about it and, and everyone gets along fine. Although even when that happens, that polite resolve is usually only so deep. Uh, often the Christian then sits there and, and just quietly wishes that they could talk about Jesus again. It's the only thing that matters more than anything else in this world. And those opposed to the gospel might sit around politely, but they might be quietly dreading it does come up again. Maybe they imagine scenarios in their head that it does come up and they, and they think through what they'll say or, or, or how they might jump on anyone who does bring up that Jesus thing again. Jesus doesn't talk about us keeping quiet here or, or suppressing our faith in, in this necessarily divisive work of the harvest, but rather that we should speak and we should speak openly and without fear. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered in the dark, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We must have compassion 
for their soul. That must override our self-preservation and fears. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them is going to fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. How many sparrows, Jesus, I feel like asking. He died for our sin to save our soul from hell. I don't think Jesus is telling us here to be insensitive with this, of course. We might process what he's saying here by what he said through Peter. In in 1 Peter, we looked at a couple of months ago, if you recall, we're not to be aggressive or, or seek conflict, but no, we must carry the name of Jesus with gentleness and respect and submissive love for others. But there must be love for others, for us to speak. It must be a compelling love for others that would see their soul saved from hell. But it will bring division, no doubt. And a divisive gospel like that will also then mean a dangerous gospel from time to time. If you catch verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Again, verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, the father his child, children, the parents, they'll have them put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. It will get dangerous at times to bear witness to Jesus in this world. We might not know that so much yet, but plenty of our brothers and sisters around the world are living that out every day. What should we do when persecution comes? Not just the common negative rejection here or or dismissal, the divided relationships and stuff here. Now, Jesus is talking now about the hostility of persecution in that paragraph. And specifically when they pursue us to to have us arrested and punished as they did with Jesus. That's what that phrase means, when they deliver you over, verse 17. Verse 19, when they arrest you so as to punish you for this gospel. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious, Jesus says, how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Most of us, I'd hazard a guess, haven't been arrested for proclaiming the gospel like that, dragged into some specific context where perhaps Jesus has something specific to say. Dragged there, of course, because of what we do know to say and have already been given to say all the time and have been saying that's why we would be arrested, I think Jesus means, for for proclaiming the gospel basics like repent. There were basic things that Jesus and his apostles routinely proclaimed. Would those things not be our routine message too? 
But by saying those things, a certain kind of persecution may come. It is to be expected by Jesus' words here. So, so do not be surprised, he says. And do not worry about what to say then if that happens. It sounds in verses 19 to 20 as if that might even be part of Jesus' plan to have us deliver a message to someone in particular even. It will be for Jesus' sake, verse 18, that we bear witness to him before whomever he should allow to overcome us like that. Maybe it's to a certain judge or a police officer or a prisoner or who knows. Instead of feeling like the world has gotten the better of us though, or gotten the better of Jesus for that matter, we might instead listen and just observe as to what he might be doing through this persecution. Who might he be trying to reach through our plight? But if and when persecution comes, we may, of course, flee if Jesus allows that, verse 23, but only so as to keep proclaiming the gospel in in the next place we find ourselves, publicly, openly proclaiming, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. These words from Jesus today are a little bit frightful, if we're honest, But they are a magnificent call for for all Christians to to be an active witness for Jesus in this world. The harvest is on. The harvest is on. Jesus is building his kingdom even now. And we should be in the fields with him, reaping fruit for his kingdom. Surrounded as we are by people who are perishing in their sin without the gospel of Jesus. Staring down an eternity without God and without this joy that we have come to know of having peace with God, a peace that will last forever. Jesus keys us in here to joining him in the work of the harvest, sharing his message of salvation. And we should take note of a few basic things as as to what he says about it. First of all, it involves us. If we are worthy of being his disciples, we are worthy of suffering for his name, looking like fools, being rejected if need be. Second, it won't all be gravy. Plenty of people are going to reject Jesus. And so that's the nature of this work he calls us to. They're going to reject us too. Third, that's going to make it dangerous at times. But fourth, Let's just keep speaking the gospel of Jesus in whatever ways and whatever context we can. There are people everywhere who need to be saved. It's a clear enough call, brothers and sisters, but it raises a few probing questions of of us as we try to follow our Lord Jesus. Are we living like Christ's ambassadors in this world with this message of salvation, the way that Jesus sets out for us here to be, to be taking to the world, shouting from the rooftops? Or is Christianity today just a, just a private faith choice now, just a label that we like to identify ourselves with? In what way would anyone around us even know that we are Christian? If we aren't actively witnessing to Jesus, as he asks of his disciples here, then how are we any different to the rest of the world who rejected him? Are we worthy of him? 
Do we take up our cross? Do we acknowledge him before the world? Sometimes we imagine, you know, some grand kind of epic trial that that might one day hypothetically come up, you know, where we'll, sure, we'll get arrested and we get dragged away and if the scenario is exciting enough, we'll be threatened with execution, like held at knife point and asked to give our our once and final, once in a lifetime testimony and have our big chance to witness for Jesus. But isn't he here rather telling us just about an everyday ongoing thing? plain, boring, telling people about Jesus kind of harvest work? Why are we so dramatic? Is it because we are actually ignoring or denying all the millions of little chances all around us right now to just get into this harvest work? for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of our fellow human beings' souls. This is the inevitable gospel. Every single human soul is guilty of sin. We have sinned against God. We have rejected God, neglected God. We have lived our own way as if he didn't even matter. We all deserve to be cut off from God forever. Cut off from every good thing, therefore, which, although we take it for granted, actually came from his hand. But God does not want that kind of hell for us. He loves us and he is full of mercy. He gave us his son, whom he loved who intervened for us to carry God's right judgment of our sin upon himself instead of it having to come to us. Whoever hasn't yet come into that mercy of God still stands condemned for the guilt in their soul. And yet anyone who just acknowledges their sin and lets their judgment fall on Jesus will fall right into God's mercy and forgiveness forever to enjoy a a living relationship with God forever. We cannot let that vital gospel sit in a corner somewhere gathering dust. Jesus is building his kingdom every day. Look around you and see that the fields have been white for harvest for almost 2,000 years and they are still white today, which means his disciples are just necessarily on mission for him in this world. So by no means should we stop going through every town and city in his name with this gospel. And that's a big call. But to that end, let me pray for us all in this call. Heavenly Father, we we always thank you for your scripture, but today it looks a little bit intimidating, this idea of us being bold to proclaim our Lord Jesus when uh, sometimes we don't know what to say and and all the times when we know it, it could just stir up division and it might even stir up danger when we set our hearts to this work. But we pray that you would convict us in our hearts and steal our nerves and fill us with compassion to let those around us know that 
that everyone has sinned before you and that you call them to repent and that you have patiently held out your forgiveness to them in Jesus who died for our sin. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us and, and speak through us by the Spirit of Christ such that we are drawn into the work of this harvest. And we thank you for, for such a privilege, really, that, that humble sinners such as us would, would not just be saved by your grace, but, but brought into the joyful harvest of, of seeing even more people come to know this gospel and find this forgiveness that all the world needs. In Jesus' name, Lord, be with us in this. Amen. If you're hearing this today or, or listening online later and you, and you haven't yet but, but you want to come into this gospel and receive Jesus, then let me walk you through this prayer and, and if you're ready it can be your prayer if you like. Almighty God, uh, I confess that I have lived as if you don't even exist and I can see now that that is wrong. I can see that that way cannot be right. And I want to turn from that. I want to turn from sin and I want to come to you. God, please forgive me. In the name of Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus who died for my sin, save me from judgment, Lord, and, and start making me new. Amen.